The accounts shared on this podcast, including this episode, reflect the guests' thoughtful recollections and opinions of experiences perceived and occurring over many years, including childhood memories, which may be fallible and limited by perspective and trauma. Persons may have different memories regarding certain events. Welcome back to Kava the Podcast. I'm Kelly Archibald, and I want to thank you for tuning in. We live in a crazy world, so we made this podcast to shine some hope into your life. Our guests have lived through some incredible things, both good and bad, and they want to share their stories with you. Listeners like you make this podcast possible. If you've been inspired or encouraged by these stories, please consider supporting us on Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information about us at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. Never underestimate the power of a lie. You and I have been lied to countless times, and we've seen the damage play out in our lives. But when Casey Moore was just a teenager, she heard a lie spoken by an inner voice. This one lie, that she was not good enough, led her down a path of destruction and heartbreak for years. I had been a letdown, and so I really just had a terrible self-image that just started creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. And I just never, I started gaining weight. I couldn't find, I couldn't find a comfortable place in my own self. But here on Kava the Podcast, our stories are always about hope. What makes Casey's story powerful is that she eventually chose to reject that lie and start believing the truth. If you were to meet her today, you would never guess the things she has overcome in her life. And because she's an overcomer, Casey can pull other people out of the same pit that almost swallowed her alive. It's funny now. I look back and I'm like, wow, okay, I need to write a book. Like, meth addict to preacher's wife. Welcome to Kaval the Podcast. I'm here with Casey Moore. And Casey, um, so tell me what is your first memory I would say my first memory as a child is probably traveling. We traveled a lot. We we never flew anywhere. We drove everywhere. So lots of long road trips. We went skiing. We did a lot of things like that. We weren't necessarily um, a wealthy family. We just, uh, my dad always worked very hard. He's a financial planner. My mom was a homemaker. And, and we just took a lot of family time. We Looking back, when we went skiing, we usually stayed in people's cabins that we knew or things like that. But we had a lot of fun on road trips. Road trips were a real family bonding time for us. I have an older sister and an older brother, and I'm the youngest by seven years. So I was an uh, down the line. Uh, I don't know if I was a surprise or not. Yeah. But anyway, so we had a lot of bonding. It was, it was fun. Traveling was always a good memory for me. Very good memory. My mom was like the best traveler in the world. So she would like have a bag with like gifts that she would bring out or little games or things that she would bring out like every hour and a half. So it would never be, you know, it'd always be something new and fun. She was a great traveler. So she's a smart woman. Yeah. Yeah. She did. She did well with that because we didn't have no movies in the car, no phones. You know, we, we played a lot of games. We sang a lot of songs and 
and um, I did a lot of paper dolls. That's oh, what I that's did a lot fun. of. Them. <laughs> so you're the baby. I am. Three. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so where did you grow up? Grew up in Mesquite, Texas. Oh, okay. Yeah. Grew up up there in Mesquite. My parents uh, moved to Mesquite from the Waco area about a year before I was born. I was born in 1970, so I'm 50 years old this year. Casey lived to see Mesquite, Texas grow from a gentle town outside the big city of Dallas to a sprawling suburban center. Her childhood was marked by church, road trips, and a tight-knit family that always made her feel safe. Oh, that's fun. So you grew up, did you graduate from? I went to North Mesquite High School. Okay. Mm -hmm. Graduated in 88. Okay. Yeah. And then what did you do? And then I went to college at Howard Payne University here in Brownwood. Yeah. I went to college out there and um, I loved it. So did you graduate? No, I didn't graduate from Howard Payne. I, um, my, let's see, in 90, I got there in 88, the fall, and in 90, I got pregnant with my son, Carson, and so I ended up coming home from school Mm -hmm. at that point, and um, I just, I don't know, it was a, it was a real mess, I mean, it was just a mess, I just was devastated, you know, I grew up very much a church going child. My father was a deacon. My mom taught Sunday school and it was pretty, um, it was, it pretty much rocked our family mm. when, uh, when I found out that I was pregnant. And, um, so I came home and it was, um, I had actually decided to place Carson for adoption. That was my plan. And so, um, we met people at Hope Cottage mm-hmm. in Dallas, met um, different families, and actually chose a family. And a great couple. Um, got to know them while I was pregnant and stayed really close to them the whole time. And then um, when Carson was born, I ended up having a really long labor Casey was so embarrassed to find herself pregnant outside of marriage. Even though her family supported her, being pregnant in college and coming from a church-going community made her feel like a black sheep. She didn't know what to do, so she and the father decided to place their baby up for adoption. But God was not quite done with that little baby's story. But Carson's father, who I'll talk about that in a little bit, but... um, he really definitely wanted to do the adoption thing. And um, I did too. I mean, that's what I felt like was the best thing for us and for Carson, more importantly. And um, so that was the plan. But just before I went into um, the hospital to have Carson, uh, his father uh, just decided that he just couldn't really handle it. And so he went out of town with friends. And so, but my brother was already my coach. I mean, he had already gone with wow. me to all those things. So he was going to, my brother. Yes. Oh my, my brother. Yeah. That is and, um, yeah, he was amazing. And he, um, he was in the medical field. So it felt good to have someone in the medical yeah. field, like helping me out yeah. and all that, which on a side note, it was kind of funny because we would go to these classes, birthing classes. And so we had the same last name. So people assumed we were married, but we were not lovey-dovey. He wasn't like wrapping his arms around me, rubbing my belly. And people would give us the 
worst looks like he is so inconsiderate like he's not even caring that she's going through this you know because we were just like you know we just kind of had this distance between us but anyway he was awesome so um I had Carson I had a long labor ended up having a c-section it was kind of a, a difficult delivery and um I just started wondering if I could do it if could I really parent mm. alone? Because I knew what his father wanted, yeah. which was to go through it. And so I also knew if I chose to parent that I would be doing it alone. Right. And um, it was it was strange leading up to that because I went to some support groups and things like that at Hope Cottage with other girls and women that were um, pregnant and, and there were a few that were married that were still placing for adoption due to all kinds of reasons, maybe financial or things like that. But most of them were really young and I was kind of in the middle. I was, let's see, I was 20 at the time. So, but no one had support there. Like no one had family support. Nobody had anybody supporting them. And I had like all of this crazy support, but, but I, they wouldn't tell me what to do. Like, my parents would not tell me what to do. And I was just like in a, I remember driving to Fort Worth with my mom one time and in the front seat of the station wagon. And I was just begging her, like, tell me what to do. Mm. And she's like, I just can't. You have to be the one. And secretly on, in the, on the inside, they were just dying over this thing. Like, they just couldn't, they did not want me to give them up for adoption. But again, right. it had to be me. Right. So, um, I think what kind of where I sort of turned the corner there, my caseworker from Hope Cottage came up who was such a wonderful woman. And she just was like, this has to be right for you, you know? So what are you going to do? But it has to be right for you. And there's no pressure on our side. Although my heart was in pieces for the family who was waiting on a baby. So it was a very difficult thing. But what I think what kind of turned the corner for me is, um, we were supposed to leave the hospital that day, and we were plan was to go straight to Hope Cottage with the, with Carson and place him for adoption at that point. And um, the doctor came in and said he has a little spot in his lung, so he's going to have to stay. But you, I had already begged and stayed. I think I had stayed like four nights already. And he said, "But you know, you have to go home today." And I was like, oh my gosh, like leave him here. Like I can't. So I went home and it was just kind of like foreshadowing of what my life would be like. And, and I just decided I couldn't do it. So we got back up there the next day. Magically, the spot was gone. So I really feel like that was kind of a God deal, like letting me feel what it would be like. Casey had a terribly hard decision to make. The only thing that made sense was to place baby Carson up for adoption. She had made no plans to be a mom. She had promised her baby to another family. But everything inside of her was pulling her toward this tiny little life who had just been born. But even still, I waited for hours. They put us in this little storage kind of room. They brought a rocker in there and I had Carson with me and I just was like, I felt so incredibly guilty for that family Mm -hmm. that I almost placed it for adoption because I just felt terrible for them. So um, after hours, hours of waiting and um, 
trying to figure out what to do, I finally just said, I, you know, I can't do it. I've got to keep, I've got to keep my child. Right. And I mean, I think we were like in the car within five minutes. Like we were just oh. like out, got, you know, everything. We had nothing. We had no, nothing for a baby. I mean, cause oh, wow. I wasn't going to keep the yeah, baby. So right. we had nothing, you know, so it was kind of a whirlwind the next few days yeah. and, um, all of the, everybody helping and bringing stuff and, you know, finding a crib and borrowing this and borrowing that. And, and so I was living with my parents at the time. And so we brought him home from the hospital and, you know, kind of started this crazy journey. And, um, I do know backside that that couple ended up getting a child like six months later, which made made my heart really happy because they were wonderful people. Right. Had you already named him? Uh, that was what they were going to name him, Carson. Oh, wow. So you continued Mm -hmm. that. So I called, I called him Carson in the hospital. I had him with me. That was the other problem. I had him with me for five days. Yeah. I mean, other than at night, they yeah. would take him to the nursery. But other than that, I had him with me all the time. Yeah. So, uh, but I think in the, I don't think, I know in the end that I made the right decision right. for for us. And um, as hard as it was for that family and devastating, I'm sure, right. um, they were, my social worker kept me kind of just posted on them because I was really heartbroken. And so they, she said, you know, they they got a baby, you know, yeah. and so I was happy about that. Yeah. But. Casey was all in. She picked herself right up and with the help of her family and friends, began a life as a single mom. But even with the help of so many people surrounding her, she felt like her feet were constantly slipping out from under her. So you're, you're home with a baby at your parents'. And yep. is the biological father still away? He was at the time. And he basically, it's kind of, when I think back, I'm trying to think how it all happened. But basically, he um, signed his rights away. Mm-hmm. And um, he went to school. Uh, he went to A&M to school. And he signed his rights away. And I never asked for any child support or anything like that. I just, I kind of just wanted the break. Mm-hmm. to be a break. Mm-hmm. And um, so we moved on, you know, mm-hmm. without him involved. Okay. Yeah. So you're a single mom. Single mom. And, um, you know, my my family uh, was real supportive, but there was also like, you got to go to work. You got to do this. So, I mean, I started looking for a job, trying to find a job and found a job and started working in a little accounting firm in, in um, Dallas and um, as a receptionist and had a little baby. Um, our we had at first the next door neighbor kept the baby, and then um, I didn't really want my mom to keep the baby. I mean, she was the grandma, and we lived with them, and so I really just didn't want that. And I don't think she wanted that either. I mean, it's kind of a lot. So I really wanted someone to care for the baby, and who actually cared for Carson the longest until he went into um, till he was in like preschool age. Uh, was happened to be a friend of ours and it happens to be Amy Wilson, Amy Anderson's oh. mom. Oh wow. Yeah, so she Carol cared for Carson and she was wonderful. So yeah, so I it was it was comfortable to have her and I've yes. known her my whole life and yes. she was she was really great. So yes. she kind of jumped in and cared for him and um anyway, but it was it was really um I had so much shame and guilt from it, so I just carried so much of that for so long. And, um, it just was a, it was a difficult thing. I never could really, 
land on my feet um, with life. I mean, I just was constantly searching for something, you know, something else. And I think for me, it was more like, um, I don't know, like I, I had really poor self image after that. And I think it was because at the time I just felt like, wow, you know, I mean, here I've totally disappointed my parents, you know, I've, and yes, I have this baby who they loved and all of that, but I had been a letdown. And so I really just had a terrible self image that just started creeping up and creeping up and creeping up. And I just never, I started gaining weight. I couldn't find, I couldn't find a comfortable place in my own self, you know? And, um, I had a lot of support, which was weird. And I remember my mom just like, Casey, what? Like she literally helped face me in front of the mirror one day. I was like, what do you see? What do you see that is so wrong? You know, because this is what I see, you know, I see a survivor. I see, uh, you know, a woman that is trying her best for her child. You know, I, these are the things I see. I see beauty. I see, and I just couldn't see any of it. I mean, I'm looking at her like, who are you looking at? Wow. Who are you looking at? And, um, it, it, it pained me for years, for years, So I think that led to a couple of bad relationships and things like that. The lie that she was not good enough was planted firmly in Casey's heart. Over the years, it would grow like a cancer dominating her life. Around that time, um, Carson's father came back and said he wanted to be involved. Oh, wow. How old is Carson? Four. About four. And I was like, hmm, you know, okay, well, I guess this is a good thing. You know, his parents, his mom was a, a very kind person, and, you know, maybe this is a good thing. And so they started seeing, he started seeing Carson and um, spending time with them and their family and things like that. And so then they said, um, okay, we wanted to get the rights back and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And he paid me back some back child support. And um, we were in the process of getting his rights back and he wanted to do a DNA test. And I said, okay, fine. Well, as it turns out, he was not the father. So a whole new, like, set of punches in the gut for that one. And I knew in college that I had had, I wouldn't say like slept around, but I knew that there were other, that there was someone else that it could be. But Carson's father, who I thought was, was my boyfriend from home. And I had spent lots more time with him. And I just thought, no, there's no way it has to be. And it wasn't. Wow. Yeah. So that was... I was already feeling very down, and that was just a huge blow. Wow. So did huge you know blow. that other person? I did. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so Carson was maybe four or five when we found all this out, and I just was like, nope, I'm not going back to him. I'm not going to – I'm not doing it. When Carson's older, I will help him find him, but I'm not going through that again right now. I'm just not doing it. Um, I just kind of – 
buried my head in the sand. My parents were, they were okay with it. Um, they pretty much left it up to me. I don't know. I, you know, we never really talked. I don't know if they had another opinion about it, whether they thought I should or shouldn't, but I didn't. And so I just waited and, um, you know, that lots happened, but then later on down the line, um, you know, that that's a whole another story from after a bunch of other stuff happened. So. <laughs> so did Carson ever like ask? He did. And growing up and um, I always, you know, told him that I would help him find him. And um, so in the in. In the interim, I had met someone at church, and um, we dated for, gosh, we dated for a long time. I think we met in, like, we met when Carson, I mean, he he knew, he, I was with this guy when all this was going on with Carson. Oh, so, Carson, okay. I started dating him, this guy when I was, two, uh, when Carson was two, and so this all was happening when he was, like, four or five. So, anyway, so I knew, um, you know, I was dated him for a long time, and, um and then we ended up getting married um, when Carson was seven. Okay. We got married. Still carrying this lie in her heart, Casey entered a marriage with a man who was a breath of fresh air. He was not Carson's biological father or the man who treated Carson like his son. He was not connected to Casey's past, but had walked with her through some of it. He adopted Carson as his own son. But no matter how hard Casey tried to stay afloat, she kept sinking into self-hatred. So um, he kind of was the fill-in, mm -hmm. sort of. But it was a pretty, it was, looking back, you know, he was raised like I was, raised in church, raised um, by good family. Um, but I always felt insecure around him. And just, um, he was a really very handsome he worked out all the time and I was overweight and I just I always felt like I never could measure up and I felt I felt very even almost worse like he was like a prize for me because I felt like he was so much over you know better than I was but it almost made it so terrible for me to 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 live there because I just felt inadequate you know, all the time. I felt like I, he always wanted something more than what I could give him, you know. And so, it, again, just the same kind of huge, uh, painful um, self, almost like loathing mm -hmm. in a way. Um, and that that really precipitated a lot of, a lot of bad things at that point. Um, probably Carson, we'd been married a couple years and, um, Carson was maybe 10 and he had a son from a previous marriage who was a year and a half older than Carson. So we had them and, um, I just kept getting worse into how I felt about myself. Desperate for change, Casey reached out for anything she could find. She heard rumors of an antidote for her misery. I had met someone who um, was like losing a bunch of weight and doing really well. And so I was like, okay, I asked her like, hey, what's this? What's the deal? And um, so she finally told me that she was taking an illegal drug to lose weight, but that she was managing it and working and she just was going to 
do it for a little bit, lose weight and quit. And I was like, that is exactly what I need. Even though I'd never been a drug user, I had dabbled in smoking pot and things Mm -hmm. like that, but never been a hard Mm -hmm. drug user or anything like that. And I felt like I could do it. In fact, I went home and my husband was the director of counseling at Richland College at the time. And I went home and I told him exactly what she said. He's like, what is it? And I said, I don't know. She didn't say, but she said it's illegal, but she could get it. And and he actually, and I said, but I could lose like a ton of weight. And so he like said, okay. And so I um, talked to her, found out a little bit more about it. Didn't know anything about it, but basically it was, it was meth. Right. But didn't know anything really about it. That I mean, I knew it was bad. I knew, I knew it was bad, but I thought, well, if I do it for a period of time and I get this jump start, then I'm going to feel confident and I'm going to be able to just put it down and do it myself. So that's really the direction that I went into that. And very, very quickly, you know, it became something that just overtook, overtook me. Um, I did, uh, however, you know, I kept, kept a job, you know, for a long time. I would, um, you know, as it progressively got worse, I would not lose a job because I would kind of just not go to work or something, but then I would just go get another job. And I was getting these fundraising positions like director of fundraising. I mean, I was getting some really good positions and, um, and I would keep them, I would keep them and then something would happen and I would end up losing it and I would rush out and get another job real quick. And so this went on for years. So what was happening that you would lose your job? I would quit going to work. Oh. I just would like stay home and keep getting high. Oh. And so I just would lock myself in our room. And after a year or two, my husband started doing it as well. I mean, it was like a year or two that I did it on my own and then he started doing it. Wow. And he lost his job at the college and he just never worked again. I don't think for a long time I kept working, but he just, it just really, really ripped him. Wow. Were you able to keep your house? For a while. Okay. For a while we kept the house. Um, We ended up filing bankruptcy. Um, I don't remember. And some of this stuff is so hard because like I literally don't, necessarily remember the order of a lot of things that happened back in that time. Casey found herself in a reality that she would never have imagined. It cut deep holes into her family, but her parents never gave up on her or Carson. But I do know, I do remember, you know, a lot of like painful stuff, you know. I I remember, um, Carson just knocking on our door all the time and I'll be like just a minute you know our I'm doing something for you you know you can't see it it's a secret you know just you'll be excited just give me some time but nothing I would never do anything and so he went through that for a long time and I think he found some of our either drugs or something like that and um, he ended up telling my parents that my husband was doing it mm. and they were like well, what about Kate what about your mom no I mean he totally like covered for me the whole time and he was little like he was very young and um so one day I get a call at work and from my husband and he's like 
your parents are here and they just forced me to do a drug test. And I was like, how did they force you? You could, you, you just say no and tell them to get out of the house. Like that is, they cannot force you. He's like, I've already done it. And, and I'm, they said I was positive and I told them it was this and that. And you know, that I was taking this, this over the counter and this prescription and that's what it did. And I was like, how could you, how could they force you? Did they put a gun to your head? He's like, no, but your dad said I had to blah, blah, blah. And I just was furious. I was furious at my parents. I was furious at him. So basically my dad said he tested positive. You and Carson are moving out or we're taking Carson mm -hmm. from you. And I was like, forget it. I mean, our marriage was already completely a disaster at this point. Yeah. So we moved into an apartment. Carson and I moved into the apartment. And I remember I stopped using for two months. I completely stopped cold turkey. And um, I just started again. I don't know why. I, I don't know why. And I began to use again. And I, I mean, so much of my life and the way I put myself out to people and was such just a lie. Like I was constantly living this huge lie all the time to everybody and if it didn't you know if it didn't work I would make up something to make it work you know I mean if it if someone started thinking something I would make up a story or I just I literally lived this crazy lie I mean every day of my life was I was lying to somebody whether it be work whether it be my parents my son I mean friends I would make up these elaborate stories of what was going on in my life, just trying to keep some sort of cover on what was really happening. I mean, it just was, it was such, it was so stressful looking back. And I think looking back after being so deep and all that, it was like, that's, that is a lot why I kept using because I had right. to quit thinking about the hole that I was in. Wow. She couldn't bear to confront her reality. So Casey created a false one. She would explain this false reality to her friends, her co-workers, anyone who asked. For some time, she used it to hide the addiction that defined her life. And I think for me, you know, when I think about all those times and just everything going on, I just think, why couldn't I have just said, like, help? Like, I need help. But I, I was so ashamed and I, I remember thinking, okay, Casey, you're a Christian because I'd come become a Christian as a young person. Like, just pray. Just, you know what to do. Like, just pray. But I felt like I couldn't even really pray. Like, mm -hmm. God could not hear wow. my prayer because I was so bad in my eyes. And I was, I was so far from Christ. And, you know, I was, I just was... It, there was no chance. I mean, he couldn't hear me. He could, he couldn't save me. So I remember thinking, you know, I will, I will die a drug addict, you know, and I just kept praying. Like, I just pray that my son doesn't find me or something like that. And it was my biggest thing. You know, I just didn't want him to have that pain for his whole life. So I just, you know, once we moved out and I started using again, it just got so much worse. And same thing again with jobs and I would lose jobs and, and it was it was sad because I grew up in a in in Mesquite, and I remember, I remember I was working for the Chamber of Commerce, and uh, I was using every day, you know, working for them, and 
I can't remember how or why I got fired, but I know that they, the president of the chamber was in Rotary with my dad, who'd been in, I mean, and so he went to my dad and was like, you know, we don't know what's going on. But anyway, they, they ended up firing me. And I can't even remember now, looking back, why. I can't even remember what I did or I'm sure something. Right. But, um, and then I remember they found drugs in my desk after I'd been fired. And it was just, I mean, it was out of control. I was spinning out of control at that point. And um, I think at that point, I um, was sort of just, giving up, mm-hmm. you know, but I still had Carson and my parents still, I think they knew something was wrong, but they didn't really know. And Carson was just adamantly denying anything. Oh. And so they would spend a lot more time with him. They would get him a lot more. They would come pick him up for church and they would kind of be with him a lot, a lot more. And then it just, um, I started getting really sick. And I think that's kind of where it changed for me as I, I was very ill, very, very ill. Pneumonia. Oh, wow. I had, my teeth were abscessed. I mean, I had like a blood infection. I mean, it was, I was very, very, very ill. And was that all from It was using? all from using. And at that point, I mean, I was just, it was really close to death. This lie of not being good enough had grown into a monster. All Casey had wanted to do was lose some weight and be a more attractive wife then she would be happy, right? Instead, this lie took her down a path that destroyed her marriage, her career, her family, and nearly her own body. Find out what happens to Casey in the next episode of Kavah the Podcast. Thanks again for listening to Kavah the Podcast. It's our joy to share these stories of hope in a confusing world. To keep up with our guests and adventures and podcasting, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We would also love it if you gave us a review on whatever podcasting platform you use. It helps us continue to share hope around the world. We are so grateful for our listeners who financially support Kava the Podcast. If you would like to become a supporter, please consider donating via Patreon or contacting us about sponsorship opportunities. You can find more information at kavahpodcast.com. That's Q-A-V-A-H podcast.com. I would like to thank my head writer, Rebecca Gray, and audio engineer, Meredith Douglas. I could not do this without you. You make this happen, and I can't express my gratitude. Maybe you've been listening because you found yourself in a desperate place. We want you to know that all is not lost. It is our desire that you would be able to borrow hope from those who've gone before you, those who've waited to find a positive outcome. Please be sure and connect with us via our website or social media. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.